Welcome to Hannibal's Horny Abachi, a weekly dinner party where we watch and discuss an episode of Brian Fuller's Hannibal. This week we watched True Normand, which first aired May 23rd, 2013. I actually accidentally wrote 2017 on my notes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's reason. <laughs> I am your host, Sonia, your friendly neighborhood true crime nerd. Let's go around the table to introduce the rest of the party. I'm Celeste, and I forgot my intro because it's been a while since I did this. <laughs> it's good. Um, <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> I am Celeste. I'm new to Hannibal. I'm an artist here, and I'm happy to be with these guys. Yay! Hi, I'm JJ. I'm a local filmmaker, local nerd, and the fanball of the three. And before we get into the episode synopsis, I had to mention something I wrote on t- Facebook today about a dream I had actually just last night. <laughs> so I had a dream that we actually got to, we've been talking about this for a while of trying to pursue either like probably uh, a, lo- a Hannibal actor to appear on the show, like whoever we could get. And so mm. I had a dream last night that we got Mads Mickelson into the show somehow, like not even a Skype interview, actually here <laughs> in the studios for a some reason. Pure miracle. Like, yeah. like actually in this room? <laughs> yes, actually in this room, he was sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> like the way Damn uh, right. the way Jenna is, was sitting with you because uh, the way the layout of the studio is, uh, me and Celeste share a microphone, and the guest usually shares JJ's microphone. So Maz was sharing JJ's microphone in the dream, and so <laughs> I JJ's, JJ's, real big. JJ's, she's, she's like, oh, so happy. And so in the dream, all I wanted to talk to him about was Clash of the Titans, which was like, okay, I really like that movie. And all I was talking to him about is like, so did you take any uh, any influence from the original Clash of the Titans? Like, how was it? Was it cool? And so like, and everybody was telling me to shut up because <laughs> all I wanted to talk about. And I woke up angrily wondering why I didn't ask him about Star Wars. And so, but the dream also included, uh, since uh, Celeste knew Maz was coming for an interview, she had made him a piece of art uh, of a stag head, I believe, in the in the dream. I can't remember. I'm looking at JJ like she's gonna remember. <laughs> right, JJ? That happened, right? <laughs> but it was a bizarre dream because I was like, um, we record on Mondays usually, so this was a Sunday night dream. So I thought in my dream that we had actually come in to record, and so was it just a weird dream? <laughs> I get dreams like that too, but like mostly I like. I dream about getting ready for the day, and then I wake up and I'm not ready for the day. And you're like, <laughs> I have so to do the second time. <laughs> but I also think we discussed with Mads on a mass on the show that uh, Death Stranding, and if you could talk about it at all. And I was just like, Hey, can you tell us about the game? I really want to know so I can get my put my my pre-sale down for that. <laughs> so, but I hope one day we could actually get him in here for real. Like I think it's probably going to be a Skype thing. Well, actually, my hopes are up just a little bit more because. Uh, did you see stuff on online about Red uh, Red Dragon Con? Ooh! Freaking Hugh and Brian were there. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> Our two two of the two of the three science bros were there. Oh my gosh! And I was just looking at pictures and stuff, and I, like, no offense to my fellow fanable, but there was a couple points there when I was looking at pictures, going, "Oh, guys." Turn it down a notch. Uh, okay, I, I have to be I honest. Just, Dang. I was just like... <laughs> well, I, I won't name names, but when I was at San Diego Comic-Con, at the very first Hannibal panel, I saw some things there that embarrassed the hell out of me because I was like, Brian's right there. Yeah. You are embarrassing us. I'm like, stop it. It's like, like, to me, like you saw the extreme side yes. of the fandom in those instances. And, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of somewhere like, if you want to go on a tier of 10, whole bunch of eight, nine, tens or 
that's all you friends. Yeah. Together. I'd say I'm like a, probably like a six or a seven, maybe. I'm a five. Celeste is probably a three right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it's embarrassing because I saw a bunch of Sherlock Kens while we were there too, like at um, at Comic Con, and all they were doing was it was like these two cosplayers who would just make out for people and take pictures, and I was mm. like. <laughs> like don't like don't get me wrong if like you if know that's your thing and there's certainly like an audience for it that's why you go to cons you know mm-hmm. like obviously you know in the pictures Brian and Hugh seem to be like taking it in stride and having a good time which is all good but yeah me personally I was just like yeah take it down a notch guys. yeah it's like you are a, like um, you're one of those nerds that gives the rest of us a bad name no not exactly but well kind of it's just but again I'm also like pretty reserved like that mm-hmm. like already doing a podcast about my Hannibal nerdum is already a, already a huge step for me. <laughs> so <laughs> anything else like that, yeah, I'm just kind of like... Ugh. Well, and it's um, it's hard to, to include just because um, fandom is such a new thing to be in the uh, in the mainstream. Mm. Like, you, back when I was probably, like, about 10, you like people who dressed up for cons were seen as, like, the uber nerdy, like, the sort oh, of nerdy yeah. you don't mm. share. Yeah. And now you see people going to cons, like, as Garnet, and from Steven Universe or like simple things that they can do with just their regular clothes so I think cosplay has become more acceptable but the parts where people will look down on you because your will cosplay is not that up to par that bothers me like that elitism bothers me it's like oh you've never met Brian Hmm. sort of thing you know (laughs) yeah like fandom for me has always been a hairy place just because I Back in the day, back in the live journal days, that's when I used to be, like, you'd see all the big-name fans oh, and stuff. Live yeah. journal. Back in the day, yeah. Oh, I, was, I met all my closest friends on live journal. Like, Kira from last week, that's where we met. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but um, it just bothers them because it's like, um, I don't know how this fandom can be so... Um, so Beatlesy and it's in its devotion because I'm like it's about people who kill people <laughs> like it's so funny to me that the fandom is this place that woobifies certain parts of the characters and I'm like you're woobifying a guy who murders people to eat I don't know but it's just like bizarre to me well at the same time too like I think um most of the yeah most of the nines and tens um yes they love a show about murder and all that but half of the time of what they I see them do you know, our our characters are alive and they're doing things that their characters actually wouldn't do. Like, they're not following canon. Mm-hmm. Or, I will put air quotes, canon. And <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, you know, they're kind of making it up for, like, like a, a lot of fan fiction I read. Um, everyone lets Beverly... Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, she almost spoiled something. Yeah, I almost oh, spoiled something. Um, they, they keep letting Beverly do her thing. Yes. And I'm like, you guys... You know, you, you know that's not a thing, right? <laughs> Always. Like AUs and, it's just, and stuff like that, or it's like they it's like they omit omit canon, and it's just like, like I get you love these characters and you want them to do whatever, but at the same time, it's like half the reason you love this show is because of the way it played out. And yeah. I don't know. Mm. I always have mixed feelings about that, but anyway. Well, the purity <laughs> of the text, yeah. It's like, um, mm. that's why I can't get behind uh, coffee shop alternate universe fanfic. I don't know why that's so popular all of a sudden. It's like, I think because it's, it's, yeah. I think it's because it's a very common uh, thing in real life. Yeah. A real it's, life yeah, fantasy. It's very that, romantic in real life. Like, yeah. it could happen, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a daily daydream everybody has. Like, like, you see, you know, you call it a daydream, but in reality, it's actually more better to characterize it as a fantasy. Yes. Everyone yes. has the airplane watching, uh, uh, sitting next to someone in an airplane or on a bus fantasy, bumping into someone in a co- uh, coffee shop or bookshop 
fantasy. Bumping into someone, like you bump into the guy of your dreams, like, oh, <laughs> your stuff walls on the ground. You yeah, see it all the time in anime. <laughs> <laughs> Those well, tropes. So. Well, I see that as like, uh, well, the dark fantasy aspect of that is, I'll tell you a funny story. So yesterday, me and my homie, uh, I, won't me- uh, I mentioned him previously on this podcast, but he's also a gay man. So we went out and we ran into one of his friends that I knew from uh, the comedy scene. Uh, well, not the comedy scene, like just local like art mm. scene, basically. And so he was telling, and we were catching up with him about what was going on in his life, and he started telling this horrible story about how he recently broke up with his girlfriend, and it's been in a horrible situation. And of course, me and my homie look at each other like later when we were out there. Don't you feel like scum that we were both trying to hit on if we told us this horrible story? And I'm like, yes, I feel terrible. You guys like batting your eyes. Just like, and him, like, so you're single. single. And we both kept like trying to get closer and closer to him. We like fighting each other off. Oh and I'm just like, oh my god, we're terrible human beings. I'm guilty of that too. It's you know, like, just. I call it just, you know, uh, looking but no touching. Yeah, it's like... It's like, I know very well, it's like, because I'm married. <laughs> but I'll be just like, hey, how are you? I'm going to stand next to you because you're real tall. Well, flirting is part of our heritage. But, okay. Anyway, let's get well, into yeah, the show. Oh, yeah, we're just like cutting kind of Okay, to officially start the show, um, so the epi- this episode sees a shout-out to the indigenous heritage of your host, because we're all three of us are native. <laughs> Will is losing time, and Abigail returns, and so does her murder victim. So, um, as a native creative podcast, I really like the indigenous shout out to our Pacific Northwest homies with that macabre totem pole that opens the episode. Uh, the Crees, as we all are, don't uh, create totem poles. <laughs> the Crees. <laughs> Cree represent. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, 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 a stereotype of native people and media is that all of us create totem poles. That's actually only belongs to. The or that you have a totem? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what the hell? I don't have a totem. Like, that's, like what are you, racist? But, so. Yeah, but, um, in Haida Gwaii, uh, which is located in British Columbia, the Haida traditionally live on the coast, mm. and so many totems are found on the shores or near coastlines. Um, totems act as guardians and watchers of the ancestors and act as both a source of historical record and literature. They can also be used as burial sites with human remains being placed near the top of the totem. Really? Yeah, I was reading about that. In my research, I also read that the Haida may have practiced cannibalism. Really? But I believe this was hyped up by settlers Mm. who heard of the Haida practice of ceremonial and symbolic cannibalism. Oh, okay. Similar to the Eucharist where it's like, this is my body, this is my blood sort of thing. Um, Also kind of like taking like the Jesus, this is my blood, this is my... My, the bread is, is my this body. bread is my body. But yeah. taking it literally. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I was reading that the Haida would symbolically eat a little piece of the person that they killed to take over, take over their, um, take over the power of their mm. enemy, which is something that comes up in later episodes of Hannibal that they mention of the Iroquois. Mm. Who I don't know if the Iroquois, because we have Mohawk friends, I don't know if the Mohawks <laughs> actually committed cannibalism. I'm gonna look into that. But uh, but the Haida, I think it's just like a hyped up stories that missionaries told of like those horrible savages so but mm-hmm. i'm gonna read up on more so stay tuned to this podcast for my google searching because <laughs> we'll be more than happy to educate you about indigenous life <laughs> yeah the indigenous <laughs> podcast and hannibal but i wanted to find out what did you guys um think of that 
terrifying totem pole. That's so gross. <laughs> oh, God, I flinched so bad when I first like, saw it. it was, oh, God. <laughs> I'm thinking about it right now. It's just well, gross. And the way it was set up, too, is um, the most rotten stuff was at the bottom, and the yeah. higher you went, the like fresher the, the kill. The first, like, murder was at the bottom, and then the dude at top was, was fresh. He, like, was he folded like a pretzel? Yeah, like his yeah. legs were like, uh, like on, the, on his shoulders. On his shoulders, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it was like I think I saw a behind-the-scenes thing for for the artist making that for the totem, and uh, like the, actually the the more rotted stuff at the bottom to me looks too Halloweeny, so it didn't bother me that oh, much. Like mm. Yeah, but the stuff that. near the middle, a little bit more fresher looking, actually looked like slightly rotted limbs for like a couple months. That's where I was like, yeah, <laughs> um, trying not to get. Yeah, I, I can't remember the name of the user on Instagram, but uh, I've spoken about her before. The coroner who posts uh, pictures of uh, well bodies, basically. I, I looked at um, her on Instagram. Yeah, I was just really damn cool. Yeah, like she's she also. Um, it's also really horrifying because like sometimes I'll be like going through my Instagram feed and going, oh, this is nice. Look at that cute little look picture of Janelle Monae. <laughs> look at the snowflake. Oh, look, a, a, a ruptured testicle. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, okay, her name is Mrs. Underscore Anjami, and she's a pathologist, I believe. She posts a lot of uh, autopsy pictures and a lot of cool pictures of her kids for some reason. <laughs> so it's like, it's a nice mix if you're into things. But one time I was looking at um, uh, a ruptured testicle, actually, and um, somebody on the bus saw it behind my phone and, like, walked away. <laughs> Just like, you. I'm like, was I it a man? It was a man, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always looking at this stuff on there. But, yeah, the I also saw that the totem pole had a really Indian influence, like Indian, not us Indian, but, like, India Indian, where uh, mm-hmm. the hands were molded in a way that looked like uh, yeah, Ganesh. Yeah, or not Ganesh. Um, what's the one? Uh, the Kali. Kali. She looked like Kali. Like, the, the forearms and stuff. It looked mm-hmm. pretty cool. I just love that. So it's like a mixture of cultures together and then like a giant gross totem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I really love, my favorite bit of this uh, episode was the cut to Will and suddenly in Hannibal's office. That was so creepy. Oh, yes. Like, cause he just like closes his eyes and he's there. And Hannibal like has no idea that he's there either. Mm-hmm. He just walks in and he's like, oh, well, I didn't expect you. He looks so confused. Yeah. Like he had no idea. Well, and the loss of time is really a terrifying thing to me. It often happens in stories of alien abduction. Not that I think this is the case, but no, like, no. you often hear, like people will tell stories about being abducted by aliens, like in their car or something. They'll see a bright light, look at their clock and it says two o'clock and they they look off for a second they look back at the clock it's 5 p.m so mm. it's like really creepy things because it's like what happened during that time just like time related things always creep me out mm-hmm. like in horror oh. movies like what's what is that movie i watched like a couple months ago like the blair witch like the oh yeah the recent one the recent yeah that yeah, like freaked me out <laughs> yeah there's a scene in the blair witch where um uh part of the group moves off from them and only about maybe two hours has passed, and then they see the group, the the group that broke off again, and, and they say five days has passed. And I'm like, oh, that creeped me out so badly. <laughs> Spoiler alert for that Blair Witch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been out for a while. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I kind of like that idea they were going for it. Like they're trying to explain the mystery of what's happening in the forest, and it's like an alternate. You're stuck in a weird alternate dimension. Sure, if you yeah. wander out, then the time gets messed around, which I thought was really dumb. I was like, I kind of. <laughs> Kind of like just your regular 
like spooky that's why it's scary yeah and you don't explain it yeah like uh, i don't know if you've ever seen it but uh event horizon also has a bit of about uh a bit about time loss it's about this ship that goes through um faster than like travel by going through a wormhole it creates and in that wormhole it gets lost so two years has passed but inside it's like a hundred years and they've been living in a hell dimension. It's like really bizarre. It's a good movie, really gross. Don't watch it if you don't like gore. <laughs> so, yeah, but I was gonna say, uh, with uh, Will showing up in uh, Hannibal's office, I thought to myself, how did Hannibal not hear him get in there? And then I thought, yeah. well, Hannibal did com- you know, do some stuff in his office, so I'll bet his, his office is actually really soundproof. Oh, so, yeah. Because that's the waiting room, right? But so. he did notice that he drove there. Like, he noticed the car. Or, so maybe he well, was he, out for a second Maybe he, like, knew. He was, well, like, waiting it, it's for a him quick, to come It's in. a quick cut into the office, so I assume, like, you know, he, oh, he took, like, like, looked outside, outside okay. and saw, <laughs> saw well, a shitty car. Um, there was something, uh, well, I started listening to our homies at Head Full of Hannibal. Uh, I only listened to their first episode so far, but I really loved it. And they talk about how, um, there's no real re- reference to time in the episode. You don't know how much time has passed mm. in certain amounts. And I think in this episode, that totally comes to play because it could have been a day that Han- uh, that Will was on that beach. Like, it could have been yesterday that he was on that beach and he lost a full amount of time. Like, because uh, Hannibal mentions that he drove three hours to mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? <laughs> that part creeps me out because it's like... Well, all... I don't think that much time went by because I think if an, an insane amount of time went by his work would notice yeah and his work hasn't considering he's only ever with two people you know <laughs> and his work you know these people ought to notice if you think they would notice oh yeah <laughs> that's the thing in the well, show well and i also wrote in my notes why is no one noticing that will's appointments with hannibal are not helping <laughs> like i guess it's because um both hannibal and jack have reasons to keep Will in that insane state that he's in. Mm-hmm. Jack, um... Both were selfish, so... Yeah, well, because Hannibal's like, I want to see what happens. I'm going to keep yeah. poking, poking, poking. Yeah. And Jack is like, I need to save these people. Like, Will, I don't know if you... I, mm. I, I don't care if your brain turns to jello. Oh, that whole scene just broke my heart. Because, like, poor Will. It's like, I'm not abused. <laughs> and um, just... Or when he's like, everything's fine. And it clearly isn't. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just like, I felt so bad for him. And it was a thing I finally noticed. Like, I noticed it in gift form because... Tumblr. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely curious if it was like a Hugh thing, like a Hugh direction, a director's direction, or in the script where uh, Will always nods his head. You know, mm-hmm. he looks ah. like a puppy. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but I like that scene where um, Will is telling him that uh, tra- Jack that everything's fine because he suddenly appears in, in Jack's office. Mm-hmm. And Will's like, when has Jack have ever seen Will smile like that? I don't think we've seen Will smile like that. Yeah, that like, was really he, creepy. Yeah, he it's smiled like fine. he's dead inside. He's just like, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, it's clearly not well. <laughs> That's definitely a cry for help right there. Well, and if he said something like that to Beverly, I think, or Beverly or Alana or, like, anybody else. Not even Alana. Like, I think I think it goes on to prove Alana's too, again, preoccupied yeah. with other things and, yeah, two in her head. Like, that whole exchange they have. Like, seriously, too, when I, I remember when I first watched that episode and she's telling him these things. I was like, dude, why are you playing head games with him? And then he actually, you know, flats out asks her, like, are you saying that to confuse me? I go, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that part I hated, too, because I was like... So that's why I think why Alana doesn't really notice. Like, she knows that he's a little off, but... You know, yeah, she, she doesn't even that notice. She's unstable. Like, There's she like knows. two psychiatrists supposed to look out for him, and, and nope. Mark, they all dropped the ball. 
like, come on, you guys. The music uh, was really good, really good this episode. It reminded me of Silent Hill 2, hmm. uh, which I just recently finished. Uh, the theme of Laura from that soundtrack is the best song ever. It's totally 90s, though. That's the that's the part. Because it's like it starts with like a guitar. I love bit. the 90s, though. Yeah, but it's so good. Like, listen to it when you get home. Theme of Laura. It's a really rock-heavy song. And it's like, it's not even the theme of Laura. It's like the general theme of the game. Well, we got a computer. Let's look it up. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Um, the theme of but Laura. But, yeah, like, uh, me and JJ were discussing this last week about the music in Hannibal and how it's more of a an underlying theme of the whole scene rather than just like you know in soundtracks like in uh guardians of the galaxy the music is like mm. a part of the, of yeah. the scene and that he's listening to his player and like all that sort of stuff in this case it's like it's like the sound the ambient noise of the episode i guess it is let's see if it'll let you play it let's see if it does let you play it it might freak out Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. We just burst into tears here. <laughs> I'm not even wearing headphones. Okay, well, so we'll pause. Well, this is not the Hannibal music, but no. <laughs> the Hannibal. But just for the sake of your discussion, let's see. Yeah. See, totally ideas. I like it already. <laughs> well, listen to when it actually kicks when the beat drops. Stop <laughs> the beat dropping. <laughs> see, it's a really good song. What's this called? Uh, Theme of Laura. Silent Hill 2. Yeah, I feel like. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to control the volume. It feels really loud. <laughs> okay, it's enough of that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but like, I get that's you. not a really good example of the music from Silent Hill 2. That's the only one I really like. But uh, there's like a mm. lot of songs where it's um, just like the sound of like water dripping with an underlying like hum of like. Sort of thing. You know, like, I'm just making sense. <laughs> but, like, uh, Silent Hill has really good ambient noise. Like, I think that, and that's something I really enjoy about Hannibal, too, is the ambient noise of the music playing mm. and such. So it's really good. Like, uh, me and JJ were playing it in the car, and I was like, hey, this is the actual episode where I can time it just like that. But uh, it's really good. I love the music in the show. <laughs> Pause. Like, I thought you were going to say something. Like, oh. Me? No. <laughs> I'm listening to you, man. All right. But there's a, there's a scene. Abigail returns, obviously. Mm-hmm. Abigail tells Will, just because you killed my dad doesn't mean you get to be him. Will's reaction was surprising to me because um, I suspect he thinks people don't see his emotions. And I think that, that most people don't, obviously. <laughs> like, nobody's noticing he's going nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his empathy disorder is obviously making him see himself as Garrett Jacob Hobbs and his relationship to Abigail. Hmm. It's something that JJ brought up earlier t- uh, in another episode about how they don't. He uh, Will doesn't just see himself in the murder shoes; he sees them in the person shoes. So every part of their life becomes a part that he identifies with. Um, and the body that of the boy killed and hidden by Abigail and Hannibal is discovered in Minnesota. So that was a really creepy part, because he was obviously rotting. Um, Because I love Jack as a character, but damn, was he a bastard in that scene where he had to show the body to uh, Abigail. Oh, God, that was a real dick move. Because I imagine there's some sort of illegalness of Jack getting someone to talk by showing them a body. Like, uh, it's my favorite trope in fiction for comedy, like, to show somebody a body just to get them scared. Mm -hmm. But, like, in this case, I'm like, no, that's low. (laughs) 
I feel like I feel like he uh, he skipped that class in the FBI where they were talking about interrogation. Yeah, it's like don't show people bodies. <laughs> you know, good cop, bad cop. You know, there's ways to get things out of people. You don't just be like, look at this body. <laughs> Tell that. me what you know. It's like did you kill lamp this in guy? their face. <laughs> well, because uh, like we've discussed, like if we've ever seen bodies, and I think like even though I'm like a total gore hound and I love horror movies, if I ever saw a body, I would be terrified because mm. it's um it's so unnatural to see a body especially in that case where it was pre it wasn't even embalmed yet it was like they pulled it out of the ground with probably all the maggots still in it it's like but it was ground was frozen though they, oh, yeah, the ground was frozen, they said they couldn't uh, date uh, when he actually died okay I totally which is a tip that. kids <laughs> but the ground is harder <laughs> as Jeffrey Dahmer found out because <laughs> well, I don't know well Celeste obviously wasn't here last week when we talked well no when you talk about Dahmer but yeah Dahmer was trying to da- uh, steal a body from a grave but gave up because the ground was too hard because it was frozen <laughs> so mm. but he didn't try <laughs> but I was like watching like a forensic files thing and uh, apparently that was one thing that a guy tried to do because he copied it from a movie was you know he killed someone and he turned up the air conditioning in the bedroom, like to super freaking freezing, so that they had trouble dating when the person actually died. Oh. And so they were only able to date it within like two days. So unless they could actually pinpoint it, the killer's alibi worked. So it was like, and then I freaked, you know, they did their forensic key thing because it's forensic files. So they and they were able it. to actually date it and then go, no, that actually was you and your alibi doesn't work. So, dun, dun, dun. well, wouldn't bugs, <laughs> wouldn't bugs still like be attracted to the corpse if it was frozen? Or I guess not. No, because like, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever actually seen bugs in cold. They kind of just freeze up and like oh, they literally yeah. freeze up and don't move. They wait till they warm up again. Like you can actually take like a, like a bee, uh, stick it in the freezer for a minute and it'll go to sleep. <laughs> and then you can bring it out, and then you can actually handle it. Is and that then, what happens to bugs during the wintertime? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they, they kind of just... I that the other day. Like, where do all the worms go? <laughs> yeah, they just, yeah, they just kind of hibernate. Oh, okay. So, like, until... Like, yeah, they're like the the creature from the thing. They mm. just go into the ice and wait. Yeah, not all bugs, but yeah, mm. some bugs. <laughs> I see. Um, but I totally forgot Lance Hendrickson was in this episode. I love Lance Hendrickson. He's been in all of my favorite movies. But uh, I bring this up for a reason, because R.I.P. Bill Paxton, who was also in Aliens and Near Dark with Lance Hendrickson. I love mm. Bill Paxton. Yeah. Oh, he's gone and he's never coming back. But, uh, but you should watch Aliens. He's amazing in that. Or one of his first movies, Weird Science, where he plays Chet, like the asshole older brother. Um, he was also amazing in Predator 2. Mm. You should watch that. That he's really good in that. True Lies, really good in that. Um, and the movie he directed, Frailty. I don't know if you've ever seen it, JJ or Celeste, but it's about this father who's convinced that God has uh, decreed he should kill demons. And his two sons, one of them believes him and the other doesn't. He's like, Dad, you're going nuts. I think he probably believes I, I might have seen that. I feel like, I think my sister saw it. She wanted me to watch it, and I, like, you know, I tuned in and then kind of left. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds familiar. But it is a very good movie. Um, I think it was uh, Bill Paxton's first directorial uh, film, and he also appeared in it as the father. Um, it's really good. Um, Matthew McConaughey is actually really good in it, like, a lot of really, really um, uh, downplayed acting in that scene so it's really good because he's not like doing his Matthew McConaughey thing where he's like does he he still have a southern accent yeah yeah and does he take his shirt off he doesn't take his shirt off but there is a scene where he like is doing like uh yard work or something I can't remember but it's a really good movie to check it out it's also about murder because that's what we do over here (laughs) 
But um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys about Abigail. Um, I think this is the part of where I started to dislike her when I first watched the show because I don't like how people seem to make her the murder daughter of the relationship of the murder husbands of Will and and, and Hannibal. Um, mostly because it reminds me too much of uh, Lestat, Louis, and Claudia in Interview with the Vampire. Because I mean, we saw how well that went. <laughs> so, like, it's um, it seems like uh, I tend to see Will as the ab- uh, I tend to see Abigail as the personification of Will's current status of his mental health. I'm not sure if that's accurate because she is still a character. But um, I think his insane intense need to protect her goes above and beyond the Call of Duty and. Will also figures out that Abigail killed and hit a man on him. So, well, not on him, but so. But I, um, Abigail is. Um, I don't know. This is where I started to dislike Abigail because I'm like, she could tell anybody about Hannibal what he did. I don't know. I guess like he has too much of the. He has too many cards right now on her. But how did you guys see Abigail? Um. I didn't really like her <laughs> from the beginning. I, I was hoping that I liked her more because, you know, I thought she'd be, you know, a victim and be like, oh, she's, you know, innocent. But nope. She actually... She, <laughs> she killed she, a man. She killed a man. She helped her father. We, we, we figured out, found out in this episode. And I don't know. I just, I guess I just don't really like her that much. Yeah, like, because I like her as a character in the past episodes. Um, like, but this is the part where I'm getting into the case of... Um, she, uh, I still think she is a victim of, uh, of wanting to preserve herself. Like, there's no, there's no foul in wanting to live. Mm. But I hate that she, she has so many opportunities where she could tell somebody about what's going on, but she doesn't. And I'm like, why? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like the opposite, whereas in the beginning I didn't actually like her very much, and now she's becoming interesting to me. <laughs> Um, to me, I think um, she's really she's she's a mix of two things. She knows how to m- manipulate on her own. Mm-hmm. So I think like half of what she does, she's faking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just not privy to seeing her turn it turn it off and on, mm. in for whatever reason that we see Will and Hannibal do it, uh, or anybody else do it. Uh, it's like one of the few times that Abigail actually has private moments. We don't even get to see it. And yeah, Hannibal is manipulative of her. Like, when she finally breaks down and, you know, reveals, you know, I helped my dad do all that stuff. He, like, holds her and says, you know, you were a victim. Like, it's okay. It's okay, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, it's amazing. I love how Hannibal uses very choice words. You hear someone tell you you're a victim. You kind of, like, believe it. And there's, for some people, hearing the word victim has negative connotations. So it's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not a victim. It makes you rise above. But he's, like, using it in a very subtle way where it's just like, you know, it's okay. It's not your fault. You know? In her yeah. case, she's not yeah. the killer. She and because of what, her, what she did with her father, you know, she's already used to working with the killer and as a father figure. So Hannibal, who's even probably, like, a better apex predator than her father was, it's like, I found a... Latching on. Yeah, latching on to a better, weirder father figure <laughs> so well, this is a good point to get to today's true crime <laughs> we, thing yeah i did not really think about this yeah uh so we focused on a killer couple the last time we saw abigail so this time is no different i took a lot of today's notes from female serial killers how and why women become monsters by peter von ski the book focuses a lot on how female serial killers differ from males and provides a history of female serial killing along with cases case studies of a few. 
And so I focused this on the, the section of the book titled Sex, Death, and Videotape, The Female as a Serial Killer Accomplice. So according to Vronsky's book, there are no histories of female serial killer, killers committing acts as brutal and as depraved as those they commit when they act as accomplices. In cases where a couple committed a murder, the female partner was only technically a killer by definition of the law. She did not physically commit the actual murder and participated in the crime by either luring victims or assisting in their captivity, torturing, sexual assaulting, disposing of their bodies, or destroying evidence. Female male couples remain the most common serial killing teams, though there are cases of exclusively female teams but they are mostly as a result of a cult or a family. So the Manson girls would be a, an example of a female team, et cetera, et cetera. And so... Teamwork. Yeah, teamwork. <laughs> Get it done. Well, and those Manson girls were really tiny, so they probably needed a lot of help. Um, okay, until recently, most female accomplices were almost always exclusively treated as battered victims of their male partners, and sentencing would reflect this. So as Hannibal said, like, you're a victim. Mm. And so that's how a lot of people are going to see her. Because she's this poor little girl who's like, uh, whose dad was psychotic. Hmm. Um, we saw in the case of Carla Homoka and Paul Bernardo that he was justly put away and classified as a dangerous offender, while Carla served only 12 years before being released. In cases of these relationships, the male is almost always older than the female, and often these women often have normal upbringings. Uh, not really in Abigail's case, but I think she's more of like BTK's daughter, where she. You could, BTK has a normal life at home, separate from his killing and hunting. Um, mm. These ladies often become accomplices out of a desire to please the male. In a study of 20 women who had been in a relationship with sexual sadists, only seven reported staying in the relationship because they feared their partner. So there's some sort of attraction to like the bad boy side of it. Um, so today's subject was Myra Hinley, who was born July 23rd, 1942 in a poorer neighborhood of Manchester, England. Her parents beat her regularly, and she was sent to live with her grandmother when her younger sister was born, and her mother decided it it had become too overcrowded in the house for Myra to continue living there. Uh, Grandma's house wasn't too far away from her parents, so Myra would often go back and forth. Her father was an abusive and self-described tough man and expected the same from Myra. When she was bullied and scratched by a local boy, Myra's father told her to go beat him up or he'd beat her. In her later teens, she became interested in judo, but would often not find willing partners for sparring because she wouldn't release her grip when she was tossing people. So she was really kind of angry. Um, After leaving school, she became a typist where she met Ian Brady. They wouldn't date for another year, but Myra quickly became obsessed with him despite his criminal background. She didn't speak to Brady for seven months after they met, but she had numerous diary entries about seeing him in their office, wishing he would talk to her, other creepy stuff. Um, When they began dating, she was quickly molded by his interests. She gave up her Catholic faith after Brady told her there was no God. Uh, She bleached her hair as Brady was obsessed with Nazis in Germany. And she began to dress to, dress in da- Brady's preferred black. So she started to dress like a, what she imagined a neo-Nazi looked like. Um, so I was like, that almost sounded like high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brady became obsessed with proving his superiority by committing a perfect murder. On July 12, 1963, Myra drove a van to pick up a female hitchhiker while Brady followed behind on a motorcycle. 
Myra picked up a young girl heading to a party in a bright pink dress and asked her and asked her if she'd help Myra find her glove that she had lost in a local moor. At the moor, Brady raped and slit the throat of the girl. Myra claimed she was in the van the whole time, but Brady said that Myra had committed a sexual act on the girl. Together, they buried the body, which was later only identified because of the dress she had been wearing. They would go on to kill two boys in the same fashion, with one of the bodies only being found because of a picture Myra took of herself standing on the boy's grave. Uh, Myra and Brady waited another year before killing a 10-year-old girl, which they recorded on audio tape. According to Brady, Myra had insisted on killing the girl herself, using a length of silk cord that she later wore as a necklace. Damn. Um, they were caught after Myra's brother-in-law reported them to the police after Brady killed the man in front of him. What's oh. <laughs> well, I would hope so. And so uh, Brady was also trying to frame him by giving him the axe after he had killed the guy and said, like, okay, you're a accomplice now. Here, hold this. <laughs> it's like, uh, like, wouldn't you have ducked out after that happened? It's like, okay, back away. So uh, Myra, Myra pled her case that she was coerced into the killings. But Brady maintained that the two of them should never be released and that Myra was just as much to blame as he was. He wrote that Myra Hinley and I once loved each other. We were a united force, not two conflicting entities. She regarded periodic homicides as rituals of reciprocal innervations, marriage ceremonies theoretically binding us ever closer. Um, Brady is still alive right now. Um, He also has written a lot of books, like he's, a really big douche like he's a terrible man like you look up stuff about him and he was a terrible man like he still is like i'm hoping he's suffering but wherever he is right now um there was a great hbo movie about myers attempts to get released from prison uh it's called longford with andy circus in a few scenes as ian brady Hmm. I felt so terrible that I found him attractive in that role. <laughs> I, like, I feel so guilty. But not in the scenes where he's describing the murders, thankfully. Um, I was really nervous about that part. I was like, okay, please don't find him attractive. <laughs> Come on, sorry. <laughs> Do it for us. Did you ever see that movie with Carrie Elwes playing Ted Bundy? Yes! Oh my god. That oh my god. Yeah. I have never been so conflicted in all my life. I'm like, oh my god, Carrie Elwes. So sexy. Yeah. But he's Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie's really good at showing how manipulative Myra was because Myra is in the scene of being like, oh, like I'm, I'm back into my Catholic faith and please help me. Um, I need help and protection here. But she was also seducing guards and other prisoners to get favors from people. And she was still writing to, to Brady, um, professing her love for him and saying how, how big of idiots the people that were trying to help her were. And she was just a terrible person. Um, I wouldn't trust Brady's accounts as far as I could punch his brain in, but to see, like, some of the things she did in pursuit of being free was kind of scary. Like, she's, like, a really, really bad woman. Like, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know about this, but in England, like, even mentioning them at all brings, like, a lot of hostility. Um, there, I was reading about how somebody had painted a portrait of Myra, and there was, like, a constant, uh, right up until the unveiling, there was constant protest to, for them to leave it, leave it out of the gallery. Mm. And when it was actually put on display, they had to take it down almost immediately because it was getting vandalized repeatedly. Mm. And it was just like, oh, my God. Oh. And I thought, like, I thought it was, um, before I found out about the victims and how young they were, I thought it was a bit just too much. But I'm like, oh, my God, okay. There's a reason why people hate these guys. But, uh, but yeah, it's a really interesting story, but it's, like, terrifying. Because, like, I think in this case, um, Myra was a more extreme Carla Homolka because she was really, like, there's a scene in, um, in Longford where 
Andy Serkis says Ian Brady is describing my, what Myra did on the on the audio tapes of their recording of uh, it was really creepy because he's like um, uh, they're talking about raping the girl on tape and he's like well and like there's a scene where he's like it, it was Myra who said that they should call us mommy and daddy and I was like <laughs> oh, like look it up it's creepy as hell like Andy Serkis <laughs> was so good in that movie but anyway um, that uh, Carrie Ells movie oh scary like have you ever seen Kiss the Girls yes okay, like a long give, time ago yeah not to give away the ending but I should give away the ending <laughs> no I won't give away the ending no give it away because okay. like if really if you haven't seen Kiss the Girls by that, by now you know so Kiss the Girls is about this serial killer named Casanova <laughs> who takes beautiful women with, like, supremely talented, beautiful women hostage to create a harem. So uh, Ashley Judge is one of the girls who gets uh, kidnapped, and she's, like, she escapes. Uh, And so she starts trying to find out where these people are. And at the end of the movie, Carrie Ells, who was the cop that was trying to help her the whole time, ends up being Casanova. And it was the most terrifying thing in the world because, like, <laughs> he has a southern accent for the whole movie. And he's talking about um, how Ashley Judd's character should keep herself safe, like, not leave her garbage out overnight. And she's like, why would anyone want to go through my trash? And there's this huge scene where he's like, well, you could figure out a lot about what, go- what a woman's going through. Like, you could see when her time of the month is, how much sex she has. It's been one week because it's been two and he keeps going and like his accent changes and I'm like oh my god that's the creepiest thing I've ever seen (laughs) and it's also the scariest movie because it's about um, every single thing you do to keep yourself safe from people like that serial killer he is anticipated so there's a scene where Ashley Judge trying to escape her house but he has left um, uh, her fish tank in the dark at the very foot of the stairs so she runs into it cuts up her hands really badly and I'm like this is terrible (laughs) <laughs> this is like my nightmare at like times a hundred like it's that total btk thing of like you see people in the closet and they're like oh no <laughs> but watch it it's really good even though i totally spoiled the ending but, <laughs> but you can see it coming <laughs> stuff that bad but um to go back to the episode i actually put in here about um mentioning Anne rice again that uh there's a scene where hannibal's telling who knows abigail better than us and I'm like, we're her fathers now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what did they know about her other than she killed a man and survived yeah, to attempt murder? Do they even murders? know her hobbies? Like, what kind of favorite foods she has? Like, see, like again, then, like I love Hannibal. He's just so freaking manipulative. You know, like he uses the bond that they've all killed somebody as the thing, the glue that holds them together. It's sort of like the situation with like that mom and like the little boys in that one episode. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, you killed somebody, can't go home now. It's like we're your new family now. Exactly, and I just you know just again, it's one of those things that I love and hate about Hannibal. It's like you're such a dick, but you do it <laughs> so good. Well, and there's so many parallels between like Lestat, Louis, and Claudia from from Anne Rice's books because like. Claudia was only brought into uh, the relationship between Lestat and Louis because Lestat knew that Louis was going to leave him. Mm-hmm. And so he kept him around by having a kid with him, like every terrible girlfriend basically does. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's such a bitch thing to do. It's <laughs> like, like we got kids here. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I see Abigail as a bit of a Claudia. Like, uh,. It's it's really creepy to me though their um, relationship between Hannibal and Hannibal and Claudia Hannibal and Abigail like I'm really creeped out by that relationship like not in a sexual way just in that like you can see his manipulations of her a lot more clearly than you can with Will 
I guess because he knows that he has some like shit on her, so that. Mm-hmm. Well, he got something uh, over her a lot quicker than we will with Will. So. Yeah. With Will, he's like really, really taking his time. He's, you know, that's a real slow it's a burn. Long con, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, we don't often see Will and Jack ever hang out with Hannibal at the same time, except for like at crime scenes. But it's really like really, they never get to compare notes about what Hannibal is telling them. Like I think if they actually spoke together, it's like because Hannibal's putting them at odds repeatedly, like telling telling him that that Will and Jack, uh, telling Jack that Will can handle it, and telling Will that Jack is forcing him to do this. And it's like, why aren't they saying something to each other? Like, stupid men. Well, do it. They're probably both lying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that Will can keep working. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the only thing I can think of is they probably do compare notes, but they lie to each other. Because, so, you know, we're all psychopaths. It's all cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we want Will to do what we want. So <laughs> we'll, just, <laughs> we'll sacrifice Will's well-being just so he'll do what we so, want. So, yeah, we'll get the job done, but, like, it's going to be at Will's It's like expense. the plot in every fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just do what we want with Will. <laughs> um, but I, I shake my head. Hannibal's puppeteering is getting insane. Like, how does he keep track of all his schemes? Does he have a book that he keeps? Like, Yeah, he I does. Does that library of books and notebooks he's got all color coded and shit. He does seem like a type to have a journal and like write it down. Mm -hmm. It's like today I manipulated Will. I told him this thing and this thing. (laughs) It's hilarious. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like the ones you see, the color coded ones are like obviously like his patients or whatever, and then there's like the uh, official one for Will color coded there but there's probably actually like a private one about will somewhere that's disguised as a regular book the super secret diary Ooh. yeah i love will uh, heart shape xoxo so as we already mentioned earlier in the episode abigail admits that she did was a willing accomplice was a willing accomplice of her father mm. how much of an accomplice you can be to your father's crimes i'm not sure because like they do he does have a relationship of power he does have a position of power over her so mm. he could have been grooming her from a child to take this to take uh the, his places the places of his accomplice i don't i think she's been brainwashed repeatedly into accepting her role i don't uh, like that's how i could still see her as a victim like she obviously had been brainwashed by this horrible man for a long time and had been psychologically damaged by the fact that her dad keeps saying like okay like if i i won't kill you if i can kill this girl do you think that's what he actually has said to her mm-hmm. yeah for sure probably like but it's like does he see her sexually like or does he hate her like what why is he killing her in effigy mm. so many times maybe it's just for like you ruined my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that way. Well, maybe he like sees her as, as like a pretty corpse. Maybe. Yeah, like. Like not in a sexual way, but like, just yeah, <laughs> like a pretty corpse. It's like I, I can see you being pretty. It's like I'm gonna make dead. you uh, <laughs> make you a statue, and you'll be eternal, sort of thing. Or is he afraid of her growing up and leaving him? Like, what do you think, JJ? Well, it's kind of hard to say because we don't really delve too much into Jericho. That guy, <laughs> Hobbs, the Shrike, yeah. the Shrike, into his psychology and where the the start of all that might be. But uh, who knows? It might be a mix of things. Like maybe he killed, like didn't he just fulfilled his killer fantasy, whatever, uh, before he got married. And then you know you kind of have to keep up the norm. So he got married, had a kid, and then who knows? Maybe he stopped for a while, raised this little family, and then he's then he started seeing himself in his kid. You know. And just like, 
He wanted to sell Let's go hunting, little one. Let's go do this. Let's do that. And then he saw, like, a protege, you know. And it's possible, too. Like, that seems to be a theme within the show is these killers, these psychopaths are all lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have walls around them because they, they're they're different from everybody else. And then he realized, you know, I have a daughter who doesn't seem that afraid of what we do or this and that. She seems like a natural. So I just got to help bring her out of her shell and help her blossom. So you like, who knows, like, what he did in the past to, like, say, can you help me with this one thing? And then she learned that she was actually an accomplice. And then at that point, sure, she was probably scared. She didn't know what to do. But she kept doing it. So to me, there's a half Abigail where she is a victim and the other half is she likes it. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of that quote from The Simpsons. Um, Kids are great. You can teach them to hate what you hate. (laughs) Exactly. Because I think she has been abused in certain ways, but I think there would have been cases where she could have told her mom what was going on. And so, uh, well, I'm victim blaming now. But, like, I think, like, Abigail in this sense is an interesting character, even if I hate her. Like, she is, I don't know, um, I think I hate her just because of how people wobify her in fandom. I'm like, she's not a good person. She is a terrible person. Like, uh, I don't know how, well, I guess you can love terrible people and still think they're, uh, I don't know, woobifying anybody annoys me. Like, I hate uh, people who woobify Loki from Marvel. Like, because it's like, dude, he killed a bunch of people in New York. <laughs> he killed a bunch of people in Asgard. He killed his dad. And so it <laughs> well, he's <up>. adopted. <laughs> he's adopted, too. <laughs> Like, uh, but it just drives me nuts because it's like, uh, well, no, no, I'm thinking about Thor in that scene where he's like, talk to me. <laughs> just kill me. <laughs> or no, you're saying, tell me or something. I can't remember. It's been a million years since I've seen, seen Thor. And, but, and like, I was just going to add, too, like, plus you, like, you don't know what kind of victims he had before he started before killing. Abigail, yeah. yeah, before having Abigail. And who knows, maybe that might be it because she was leaving. Yeah, that's the re- new revelation we have. He's starting to do these weird things now. <laughs> well, it could be in that case, but um, like very few serial killers um, change their MO in terms of victim profile. That's true. Um, I think he probably was terrified by the aspect of that she was becoming a woman and that like that Oedipus thing of um, falling in love with your child. Like it's kind of, well, I, I don't know why my, I, my mind immediately goes to sexual things, but it's like, I don't mean it in a negative way. I'm sorry if I give people that impression, but it's like, it, it really reeks of that, like of incesty uh, types well, of I things. don't know if it would be like incestuous in a way. I also think it might like be part of the whole culture of, uh, that, like it gets mentioned later in the show, or no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's a fan fiction. No, I read it in fan fiction. <laughs> You're allowed to bring that up too. <laughs> Uh, I've got to start remembering writers because some of these writers are really good. But uh, one writer wrote Hannibal talking to Will, saying uh, it was like a weird sub-dom story. Anyway, um, (laughs) how people naturally talk. They want to own things. So you would, he would, the Shrike would probably say, this is my daughter, mine. So like, and she's growing up, going away. She is no longer mine. So it's probably like a weird twist fantasy thing where like no she is mine and I can do whatever I want to her not necessarily in a sexual way either it's just a matter of possession and you hear it in so many films and stories too when the children are leaving it's like it's like it's like I'm growing up now I'm not a child you're my child you know it's like you're my son you're my daughter exactly that's another good example why did I think of Mel Gibson (laughs) but anyway yeah like and and uh 
yeah, it's just I always find like that's always an interesting thing. Like even now, I'm getting that stage in my life where I'm like, do I want a kid? Do I want this and that? My kid's gonna do this. My kid's gonna do that. You know, never mind what they want to do. Right? It's all what me wants. So it's like there's all that weird psychology that people have. You just kind of you own things, and you also want to own people in a weird Which way. Which kind of like reminds me of that trope where like. Like the dad's like, oh, you're throwing away your dream. He's like, no, dad. That's your dream. It reminds me of something Celeste's brother-in-law brought up. Uh, Celeste's brother-in-law is also one of my really good friends. And uh, he was talking about how he wanted his son to be a photographer. And I'm like, but, like, that's not what he wants. Like, he's it's a little baby. Like, he wants mm. milk. <laughs> and so, like, I was trying to think about, like, aspects of that in my own life, too, where your parents want something for you. And I'm like, but I don't want that. I don't want to be. My mom always wanted me to be a nurse for some reason. She's like, you'll make a lot of money. I'm like, well, I make a lot of money now. Well, not that much, but enough for me to get by and buy nerdy things. But it's like, um, in Abigail's case, I really, I, I do agree with um, what, what Celeste said about making a beautiful corpse and it's mm-hmm. like it pauses her at that part of her life so that she can't leave him because uh, she was like what 18 like about to go off to college and stuff i think that that, that there could be an mm-hmm. argument made that his killing spree probably ramped up because of that um because it seems like she he was killing more and more at, towards the end of the the shrike killings and it's like Hmm. Would it could it be because of Abigail? I don't like blaming Abigail for things. However, I will. she may be like the inspiration. Yeah. To it, like maybe like what JJ say how like he was a serial killer before you know he got married and got a kid, and maybe he like suppressed that feeling for so long, but eventually you know Abigail grew up, and then he's like maybe he had like this huge desire to you know <laughs> like murder her. So instead of murdering her, he like find victims that look like her. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of, um, I recently read Laura Jane Grace's autobiography, and it's about her transitioning from male to female. I won't mention the title because it's kind of triggering, and I couldn't read it on the bus because, like, people would see the title, and I'd be like, okay, it's about a woman transitioning from male to females. I'm not reading a horrible book. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> you can look it up what it's called, Laura Jane Grace. And she was talking about how um, she, when she was, when she was still a male, she would think that, okay, I'm getting married and I'm having a daughter. I am a father now. I don't, don't need this anymore. Like, I don't need that part of me anymore. I don't need the girl I want to be. And so that kept coming up, coming up. Not that I'm comparing transgender, being transgender to the, what we're talking about. It's just a similar thing about, like, there's a psychological aspects of you that need to be expressed. And so it's like trying to suppress them somehow makes the the disparity worse. I guess I am comparing that, but okay, I just brought it up because it reminded me of the story. <laughs> but it was a very, very good book. I really liked um, that she didn't um, sugarcoat herself. Like she described herself as an asshole and that she was a terrible person sometimes and that she, uh, w- like it was a really good read. I really enjoyed that book. I read way too much, by the way. <laughs> What's her name? Laura, Laura Jane Grace. Really, she's a lead singer for um, Against Me, lead singer, lead guitarist. She recently transitioned, like maybe within the last three or four years. She really good book anyway. But yeah, I can see that people want like oh, this. Yeah, that's the book. Oh. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a transphobic slur. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't want like when I read it on the bus, I had to hide it. That's interesting because <laughs> my first thought was, what's so bad about that word? And then oh. Yeah, 
So <laughs> I, I, I would never use it in my vo- my vernacular, yeah, exactly. but just my first thought, even reading it, it was fine. It's so. what you think Interesting. It yeah, it's the T word. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay, I get Transphobic it. slur. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Which I don't like saying. I can't even say gay without like feeling like I'm insulting my friends. <laughs> like, but it's what they prefer. But, no, but it's like um, there are psychological aspects that like good and bad that if you suppress them they only come backward like even stronger than before and i think mm-hmm. in this and if we go by the theory that he tried uh, gary jacob hobbs <laughs> tried to uh tried to tone himself down there, there was probably a case where he's like okay he made it worse like giving himself little permissions like okay i can abduct this girl okay i can kill this girl okay i can put her on top of a stag's head now there's a thing in the last podcast on the left that they talk about serial killers um, giving themselves little permissions like that. It's bizarre, like that they they're like, okay, it's not so bad if I kill this girl because she's a prostitute, or I can't. It's not so bad that I killed this girl because she was my mother and she's terrible. So did what well, did Hobbs put her on a stake head? I thought that was Hannibal. I think it was, but he did pose them. But Hannibal did did the stake head. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I go, no, that it's was Hannibal. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're mixing up MOs here. <laughs> please send an email with uh, the, subte- uh, the subject, actually, if yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, if we ever get any of our facts wrong, please feel free yeah. to correct us. We'll be happy to read them all. <laughs> Especially because we're all busy ladies, so sometimes we just like write this down like a question mark. <laughs> But it's uh it's bizarre like uh like it's I'm really uh, that uh, I wish I could read a fanfic about like what happens with Garrett Jacob Hobbs not a sexual one obviously but I just that aspect like of someone's the, theory yeah someone's theory like that would be a totally cool fanfic to read of the what he is like like what was he like before um, but we get to see uh, Abigail like just before we end the show you get to see Abigail luring another girl for her father to kill and those types of crimes scare the hell out of me because i don't know about you ladies but when you're in danger you always look for another girl to help you out like an older woman a girl your age blah 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 like yeah yeah girls are supposed to you know to be the safer option Mm -hmm. yeah it's like help each other up yeah i automatically assume a dude is a serial killer like every single time like i was at uh tim's yesterday like tim hortons for the (laughs) non-canadians yeah i was like you know eh? (laughs) i was having my yogurt and all of a sudden like it was a busy day and i was sitting at a four-person table by myself like a jerk and some guy comes up to me and I'm like all terrified like I've gotten into fighting stance basically and he's like oh can I sit here there's no other tables and I was like okay and he sits down and I'm like like obviously making him uncomfortable because <laughs> he's like really glaring at him and I was like and then I'm like getting your yogurt I put my headphones back in and I'm just like <laughs> I'm just slowly eating my yogurt and then I realize he's not dangerous he's just looking at his phone and using the wi-fi so I'm like I calm myself down but it's like you won't like in we've spoken about this before in our society as women we have to look out for ourselves and the idea of a woman being a predator freaks me out more more in this case because it's like oh you can't trust your first instinct Mm -hmm. you know it's funny i remember in uh, my early university days when that's when i started getting into like liking true crime and reading about that stuff so anyway so i happened to read that little factoid is sometimes you actually have to probably like raise an eyebrow more at a at a woman coming to you and asking like, hey, can you help me with this and that or whatever, like really random, right? So thankfully, that was in my head. A woman came up to me when I was walking home. I was like maybe five, six houses away from my house. A lady comes up to me. She's like, hey, 
you know, can I use your phone? Or like, can you give me like like five or 10 bucks for, a I forget her story. She had a really elaborate story and that was my first red flag. Like, I really don't need to know about person far away. I don't need mm. to know this. I don't know how you ended up here. Was she old? She is. She was kind of older, yeah. Oh, I met that lady. Okay, yeah, probably. Well, yes. yeah. Well, yeah, she was just hanging around the university. Anyway, so red flag. I was like, okay, over elaborate story. Didn't need that. She wants a very specific thing, and she doesn't want this and that. So I said, well, I live just over there. I said, if you want to use our house phone. I said, I don't have a cell phone. I said, but if you really need a phone, because I think a legit person who really needs help would be like, yeah, I just... I need the phone, yeah. Yeah, like if you have no money for it to make a... Like a Go to the payphone, because there's still payphones at this time. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I, it was so, it was actually kind of freaky, because I turned around, and she made to look like she was going to follow me. And I'm like, yeah, I go, I live just a couple houses down this way. Uh, we have a phone. I turned around, and she's freaking gone. And I was like, okay, so that was a scam. I wasn't 50% sure, but I was like, okay. That was so. still pretty dangerous, though, yeah. what you did. I met the, I met the same woman uh she met me and my ex-boyfriend outside of the keg uh near my near my former apartment in winnipeg the keg is a restaurant by the way a really well i don't know high end it's high end uh <laughs> it's a steakhouse anyway so we were outside and we meet this old lady who i think is the same one jj met who came up to us and was like oh my god my husband is in the hospital in selkirk and i just had to drive into winnipeg from uh niverville which are like you would never have to drive through winnipeg to get the stein back anyway so that was my first red flag like why would you drive into winnipeg to get the stein back hmm. and then she said i need 40 dollars to get there because i i need to call the tow trucks and blah 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 and i was immediately red flagging because of course true crime sonia was like what's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> going on and so she went with my ex-boyfriend to the nearby atm and he gave her 60 dollars and i was like i was trying to hold his hand and i'm like don't like, I'll, I'll call him Deacon. Deacon, you can't do this. You can't do this. <laughs> He's like, well, trust people, Sonia. Trust people. And then we read about her in the paper later that she was a notorious scammer. And I was like, see, there's 60 bucks you're never getting back. Mm-hmm. Oh, but- actually, I have met someone like that. Uh, there's a convention center here in our city. And there's always, like, a like a woman who comes around and goes to, like, um, conflict doors. And, they, you know, they ask. She has, like, this huge story. And asks for money. And um, of course, I didn't believe her. I'm just, I'm just very suspicious of like everybody. But my friend, who's like has a huge heart, and she's like, "Oh, I'll Here's give you the money. money." Yeah. She so she gave her maybe like forty bucks, and then later we even like went to go eat at a restaurant, and we went over like a, oh, was that like a Skywalker? Mm. Yeah. We went over there, and we see that woman walk into like a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, <laughs> I knew it. Well, it's the scariest thing too, because it's like, uh, it's you. We want to believe people, the good that there's good in people, but seeing as uh, we grew up on the streets, like mm. we know better. But it's like, um, because uh, I I do want to believe in the good of people. I will help people. It's just when you're obviously tinged, like when you get like you go with your gut, like trust your gut, because you're mm-hmm. never mm. wrong. Like, um, in that case, I was totally like, uh, like I could sense something was wrong, like stuff was weird and in that case too wherever i've been in danger like trusting yourself like be a bitch if you want to be if it keeps you safe like uh i don't know one of the one of the things about um oh one of the things that my favorite murder does which is a podcast and it's really good you should listen to it but they talk about how women shouldn't be polite if it means putting themselves at risk and i'm like that's a lesson i've always known like i'd rather be a bastard and like tell people where to go if it keeps me safe like one time me and my sister were at a grocery store waiting for a cab 
And this guy comes up to us and he's like, oh, hey, do you guys need a ride? And I'm like, oh, no, we're just waiting for a cab. He's like, well, come on. Like, like I can just totally drop you off. Like, my car's just right over there. And I'm like, no, it's fine. And my sister, of course, is standing close to me. And she's like two inches taller than I am. And I'm already super tall. And she's like, Sonia, oh, they do so <laughs> And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. Like, we're, we're totally fine. And Make the suspicion man go away. <laughs> so she's like holding my hand, basically. And so um, he goes off. And then he comes up to, he drives by us. And he's in like a total serial killer van it's like no <laughs> windows the front window the side windows are totally blacked out there's a curtain covering the back and there's a padlock on the back of the door and and he's like okay it, was, it gets worse it gets worse so he slowly drives by us rolls down his window and he's like are you sure and i'm like where the hell would he have sat where the hell would he have sat and we're like it's okay sir the cab is right there and i like think on the cab is right there because i was like i i just booked it, it was <laughs> I just, just want to be like, is this your first day, man? Slowly drive by this murder. Free candy. Yeah, I put like free candy on there, but just like, this seems legit. <laughs> But that was the most terrified I've ever been. Like, but I, I, like, if anyone takes any lesson from this podcast, other than that, like, Will is not in love with Hannibal. Mm. <laughs> That's my lesson. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Be rude to people. Like, don't be nice to people just because we have been conditioned to be nice to people. If you feel like you're in danger, be mean. Like, you don't have to be nice to anybody. Like, don't ever feel. Don't ever put yourself in danger. And that's my lesson for today. Big <laughs> 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 sister of place, Sonia. We're at one oh five. An hour and five minutes. So yeah, we can wrap it up. All right. So okay, we come to the end of the show, everybody. Where we <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm still <laughs> laughing. <laughs> we learned some life lessons about keeping yourself safe because mm. we're on true crime, so we're always on the lookout for that Bundy character. Like you know what I mean. But but what for this episode? What was your favorite thing and why? Oh, let's see. Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Um, one thing we didn't like mention in the episode was like when uh, Will like he went up to Hannibal and be like, "Yeah, I know Abigail like killed that dude." Oh yeah. And then he like touched like the like, the scalpel and the thing. He like tapped oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's just like, hmm. He's like, I got yeah, two he was like deciding, here. should I murder Will? Like he, he knows. But then he's like, no. Oh, <laughs> no I'll gamble. I can, I can get her. <laughs> I'll get him in on my on my side, Abigail. But I just like I know I like that moment. It made me laugh. It's like, why is he always? Why is the first answer always kill him? Yeah, it's like, mm. yeah, it's like a pendulum in his mind. Kill him? Like no. He, he looked, I, maybe he did like glance at the <laughs> the thing, but yeah, he definitely like reached there before he like looked down. Well, a similar scene happens in uh, Red Dragon, where uh, where Will finally figures out that that Hannibal's a psychopath, because like uh, Hannibal just takes off and he's like, okay, I'll be right back. And he leaves, and then he comes back and stabs the hell out of Will. Oh, it's creepy. But it's like, um, he's always prepared, it seems like. But oh, I just love that scene, too. I totally forgot about it. Because <laughs> I was too distracted by Hugh Nancy being all sad and beautiful. And tragic. <laughs> so, least favorite thing? Uh, least favorite thing. I don't I feel like this was a slow episode for me. Like, it wasn't like last episode, which I'm kind of sad I wasn't there for. <laughs> so much went, so much shit happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. But this so episode... Stress. <laughs> was pretty slow, but at the end of like the body told him it was really mm-hmm. super gross. I think yeah, the body told him was wasted on the slow episode. I think like I don't know, like I find that it was kind of wasted. It feels like, a little filler. Yeah, you know, because like, it's, it's like, wrapped up in a little bow. 
It's, yeah, the killer like the killer story wraps up like not even halfway through the the episode. Yeah. This episode is about whale going nuts. Like that's mm, what it is. Poor baby. And it's like I don't need to see whale going nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> someone save him. Yeah. But like, how about you, Jada? What's your favorite part of this episode? Uh, well, I think I got two favorite parts. That's the ending scene where like yeah, like you know, you know Hannibal's like, like do I have to call my lawyer, Will? And Will just nods. No. It's so cute. It's just a. It's a very. Know, he, like put his very, hand on his shoulder. Yeah, it's like a very like... intimate moment. Like as some, something as subtle as putting a hand on a shoulder. He's he's slowly increasing his intimacy with Will. So it's just, you know. Anyway, the other favorite thing I liked is that dinner they have with uh, Freddie Lounge, and oh. it's like. Okay. okay, so the other thing I like is the, the dinner with Freddie Lowndes. It almost looks like a weird parent-teacher thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Miss Lowndes, you're going to talk about Abigail. <laughs> so we want to talk to you first, you know. So it's just like, I thought, this is like a weird parent-teacher thing going on here, but all right. Uh, least favorite thing, yeah, unfortunately, is, is the whole totem side story. It gets wrapped up a little too fast, mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah, it, as cool yeah. as the death, death display is, yeah, it's just like, oh. All right, then. Okay. okay uh, speaking of Freddie, like, I really like her look in this episode because she reminds me of Poison Ivy. Oh, and yeah. She was so cool. Poison Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> she even had, like, leaf, like, earrings, too. Oh, like, did red she? Hair. Well, yeah. she was reading really, she was And, like, salad. a green shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, salad things. But, okay, this remi- I wasn't going to say this is my favorite, but I, I was reminded of it now. I love the look Will gives uh, Freddie Lowndes at the end of the episode when he's just, like, staring at her angrily. She's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, why are you here in this house? But, Sorry, that's a cleanup crew in the back. Yeah, we'll, well, we're wrapping up, so we'll finish yeah. this up, too. But my least favorite thing in this episode was, like, they had Lance Hendrickson as the killer of the week, and they only had him for one scene. That pissed me off. I was like, no, Bishop. <laughs> well, Bishop is who he played. Yeah, that's pretty school. interesting. He's yeah. just like an old guy. And he's like, all right, I'm, I'm retiring from murdering. I'm ready yeah. to go prison. It's like, <laughs> jail is better than any retirement home I can afford. So like, it would have been cool to have him as a longer character. That was my least favorite part of the episode is that they didn't get to utilize him as much as they could have. Because he's a lot of freaking Henderson. He's awesome. But anyway, like, <laughs> but we've come to the end of the show, so where can everybody find you on social media, Celeste? Uh, you can find me on Tumblr and Instagram at Satuma, S-A-T-U-M-W-A-H. You can find me on Tumblr, Twitter, and Snapchat as JJ Neeps, uh, and you can find me on Instagram as JJ Neepin Films. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as honey underscore child, uh, on Instagram as ceramic nanu. The podcast has uh, Instagram now, uh, Hannibal's Horny Hibachi, where we update various funny photos to discuss and announce uh, events in the in the sh- in the series of the show. Uh, what have I recently uploaded to Hannibal's? We're Horny a hashtag Hibachi. now. If you actually hashtag yeah. it on your Instagram, we'll, some of our stuff will <gasps> pop up. Yeah, so. we're a hashtag now. No All way. of it's probably me and JJ. Well, yeah. <laughs> But I'm but, just saying. But you have a hashtag. hashtag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can follow us where I po- uh, where I post funny stuff related to the podcast. Uh, we got a message from uh, what is her name? Uh, the windowing will a uh, windowing wind. Oh, that's the that's the one who the uh, did the shout out for us. Oh, and that's her. That's her username. That's her. Okay, the wind who emailed us to let us know that. Windy we, woo you. <laughs> we can go to uh, the Brooklyn Museum. Museum. 
so we do have a hashtag Hannibal's Horny Hibachi on Twitter and uh, well on Instagram. Nothing comes up on Tumblr. Unfortunately. If you type us in Google, we pop up. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah. Well, when I checked the last few times, only porn came up. <laughs> so this is a lovely step up. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and I, yeah, it says my co DJ Productions. We're on SoundCloud, and yeah, and my Twitter pops up. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So type us in in Google. You can find us now. And I think I got a few followers on Instagram from this podcast because I didn't know them from anywhere else, so I think so. I think I did, too. Yeah, shout out to those people. Yeah, I hope you like what you find. (laughs) Um, So on Tumblr, we've been getting a lot of shout outs. Like, again, Head Full of Hannibal's really giving us a lot of good word, listening to us. Hi there again. (laughs) So, But, yeah, email us at the podcast, Hannibal's Horny Hibachi at Gmail. We still haven't received an email. I'll let you know if we do. Asking us questions like what kind of films we do, I don't know, or artwork. Yeah, if you guys want to even just ask us personal questions like what kind of movies do you guys do? What stuff do you like outside of Hannibal? Yeah. <laughs> or even you if can, you, you can like find like a cheesy joke too, like I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> like funny GIFs, please send those, please. Um, but yeah, like if you uh, like let, let people know about this podcast, like I'm trying to promote more of the true crime side because we have discussed a lot of cases that haven't really um, gotten widespread. Uh, uh, widespread news like the Vince Lee thing uh, there hasn't been any updates on him from the major podcasts that I follow so if you know someone who's into true crime let them know about mm. us if you know if, if you know people that are into Hannibal let them know about us uh, we do discuss more than just Hannibal yes. <laughs> we did, we and fangirling we do yeah. actually we talk do about lots stuff. of psychology and true crime like pornography yeah. or something pornography. <laughs> I was out buying pornography but yeah please let people know like about us uh, like us subscribe on iTunes like so we can get more listeners uh, like check us out on Twitter like uh, we'd love to hear from you guys so well, JJ is taking a picture for the I podcast am. I'm trying to get a shot of the chicken <laughs> Chicken nuggets tonight. <laughs> yeah, we had um, boneless wings this episode as our uh, as our meeting. As Sunny, our move your head over a little bit. There we go. Okay, one, two, three. Yay! Okay. <laughs> so we had boneless wings this episode, but I don't think Hannibal would have liked them. They're all breaded and it's pretty spicy. Actually. Oh yeah, they're really good though. <laughs> Probably processed. <laughs> but yeah, um, so until next week, I uh, hope you guys have a good day. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.